Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air, our second of the new year. Pretty excited. Um, we got a great topic today. Uh, it's actually part two. We're doing Angular and CSS Grid, so we're getting the extended version of it. We got didn't get it all in on our last episode that we did last year, so uh, we get to hear more about it. Pretty excited. So let's uh, say hi to our panelists, then we'll meet our guest that's returning, and then we'll get into the content. Joining us today, we've got Alyssa with us. Alyssa, how's it going? Hello, hello. So glad to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, Pooh's with us, huh? On the on your mic stand. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but Pooh is always with you. Oh, he's always with us. <laughs> Does he still have his tag? Is he rocking the tag? Like you know, leaving the sticker on your hat? Yeah, oh, I oh. can't take it. It's from Disneyland, so it's got the little Disneyland oh, okay. logo. <laughs> it's more than a tag. It's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Mike's with us. Mike, what's going on down there? Oh, bother. <laughs> nice. I forgot she's bringing poo, I'll bring Eeyore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That, that is two weeks, two episodes in a row where you nailed your intro. Like the last <laughs> time you resolved and then this time you follow up. Very good. Very good. I like it. And I'm improving my punctuality. So there's that too. Good call. Good call. And our guest joining us again to finish off this topic. Bill, Bill, what's going on? Hey there, it's good to be back. I appreciate you guys having me back. And, and if we have like our emotional support stuffed animals, I have to get mine. One second. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, do. I, I don't have a poo. I have a Lucas the spider. Ooh, nice. Yeah. It's the cuddliest spider you'll ever meet. That's so, so cute. I know. It's it's amazing. All right. You'll be just out of sight. Now, I really, I really want to go grab my cookie monster hat. <laughs> Right, right. I know I should probably pull over hat. Now, are these like the rubber duck that you'll talk to to explain a problem out uh, to help you figure it out when you're alone? Is that does that do that functionality as well, or is it just the emotional support? No, mostly emotional support. Lucas doesn't know squat about code. <laughs> You'd think he'd be an excellent web developer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, so yeah, we're no, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Web. Developer, yeah, spider. <laughs> wow, that was that was good. That was like the most delayed I've ever been. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I totally missed that too. Thank you. That, yeah, you've that you've got cool. me feeling nostalgic right now, Alyssa, because when we used to use Hangouts on air, I could mute you. <laughs> A little harsh. I know you used to get harsh around here. We 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 fixed that. Just it, we accidentally fixed it by going with a new platform. Now <laughs> people can't be bad. It's great. Are you sure? I thought there was a right. There's no right. I don't know. Mute. Okay. So you might still be able to mute people. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, should we uh, dive in? I know uh, you want to. We want to get through as much as we can in in this episode, right? So let's dive into the content. How about that? Unless you actually, I'm sorry, Bill. Do you want to give any update on on anything you got going on? Any other stuff you want to mention before we do that? Uh, just a general apology for being completely absent from social media since like November. Uh, life has been extremely busy. I took kind of a hiatus over the holidays to spend more time, you know, with family and things like that, you know, the important things in life. And then it's just been really hard to come back. So it's wonderful to be on today because I feel like I haven't seen or talked to any of you in a year. Uh, so yay, I'm back. I'm going to try to get back out on everything else. Uh, I say that, but like immediately after I get off of, of, of this meetup, I will pack as fast as humanly possible and then race to the airport to fly to Boston. And then immediately after that, I'll fly back over to California. So the next 10 days are on the road starting like two hours from now. 
All right. All right. Anybody in Boston or California wants to hang, or you know, in the Bay Area wants to hang out over the next week or so, uh, let me know. I might be able to see you. Nice. Nice. Well, hopefully the three of us can help be an emotional support during this episode to help give you the fuel to, you know, power that forward. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I can't complain. I mean, there are worse problems to have than being really busy with, you know, cool projects, but uh, I'm tired. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. All right. So, uh, should we dive into the CSS grid part? Do absolutely. Yeah. So I have already shared my screen. I'll put you folks off to the other monitor so that we don't get the, uh, the inception effect. Um, so folks that were here last time around, uh, you might remember we got through a couple of these little blocks on the screen uh, to, to get you back in the mood. I'll go back to, uh, uh, to, to show Benny one more time. Um, the, uh, the spacewalk name comes from the original place that this presentation was given or these examples were used. It was uh, at NGConf last year where it was all space themed. So the, uh, the space theme is not an accident. Uh, you'll see several you know, planets and uh, nebula and things like that throughout the presentation. Uh, one of the steps that we actually got to last time was the best feature ever, uh, followed by the sum assembly required. So I wanted to kind of refresh people's memory of those really quickly, just to set some foundational topics that we're going to build on for the rest of these things. Um, the first one was centering. So this little satellite emoji that we got right here is perfectly centered in the middle of the screen. If we move this guy around, you can actually see he stays nice and centered no matter what we do. And that's all courtesy of one of my favorite things about CSS grid. We have the ability to simply say, hey, an element is a grid, and I want the stuff in that grid to be centered. So I've got this example component, and in there I've set display grid for its uh, for its display property. I've said it's going to take up a 100 viewport height unit, so it's the full height of the screen, full height of the viewport. And I've said place items center, and then anything that shows up inside here is going to be put right in the center of that component. Um, so like I said, we talked about this last time, but it's a really good place to start because it also shows off the structure of this example application I've got. This is a very simple Angular app that we're working with. Um, each one of the examples that I'm going to talk about is pretty much one of these example components. There are a few other components that we're going to talk about that are used within these examples, but essentially, these are all just routes inside this Angular application that we get to from this top-level menu that we started with right here. Um, I am going to share the link to this application, this and furthermore, and the say what again down here. These are just links to things like the GitHub page and to additional resources. We'll talk about those at the very end. Um, but I just want people to be aware that it's a really straightforward Angular app that honestly doesn't have a lot of Angular inside of it. It's just kind of the bones that we can hang a lot of these CSS grid examples on. So for example, this centering component is the world's simplest component. It's literally just got an image in its template, and that image is what's being centered on the page like we saw before. Everything else in here is CSS. So if you look in the component local style sheet for this guy, you'll see the CSS that we were just looking at. And the only really important bit in here is this display grid with the place items. Everything else is to make the cool planet background or to make the star field background. But if we took all of that away, the centering would still work. So if I save that, give it a moment to recompile, eventually everything except the satellite emoji will basically go away and we'll see that the whole thing is still centered on the page as soon as it finishes compiling. 
There we go. One, one trick about working with StreamYard is it seems to slow down everything on the system pretty significantly. So I'll do the best I can to, uh, to save these examples and then switch back to them as quickly as I can. All right, so with that in mind, the other example that we went through was the sum assembly required, and I already did the assembling. This was this article that we had that uh, was talking about Carl Sagan's pale blue dot. And everything on this page, you can, you can very clearly see the layout that's associated with this page. We've got a header, we've got this sidebar, we've got the main article and a couple of pictures. All of this layout is being done via CSS grid. It's not being done in the markup at all. If we look at the markup in this sandbox example, you'll see that it's really, really simple. And that's very, very deliberate. Everything is inside this div that we've given a class of sandbox. And it's just a header, this main section with some paragraphs inside of it, a couple of images, the aside, a footer, literally zero layout at all inside of this HTML. Uh, and that's beautiful because it means that all the layout can go where it belongs, which is over here in the CSS file. Like I said, I've pre-assembled this example so you can see Here's how our sandbox uh, div is actually laid out. Again, we're using the grid property, uh, or the grid value for display, and then we're setting up a grid to lay out this entire page. And I'm using one of my favorite features of CSS Grid, which is this grid template. And you have the ability to actually say, I'm gonna draw you a diagram of how things are supposed to I be laid out. I think that's funny that it's your favorite feature. It's probably the biggest thing that like scares me about the grid. Cause like I look at that and I'm just like wall of text. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I maybe you just get used to it, but I'm just intimidated by the grid template. <laughs> no, I totally understand. If you haven't kind of worked your way up to the grid template by getting used to grid, then it can be a little bit overwhelming because you're like, what does this even mean? But if you take it a piece at a time, you can actually see, oh, we're spreading the header across the entire uh, viewport, uh, you know, or whatever, whatever we've assigned this display grid property to, the header is going to go all the way across the top. And you might wonder, why have we got it listed three times? Well, we've actually divided this into three, essentially, columns. I'm, I'm scared to use the word column because column means a different thing in CSS. But for our purposes, it works here. We've simply said we're going to have this many rows and this many columns. And then we can give measurements to each one of those things. We could give measurements to the, uh, to the rows as well, but we don't need to because we're simply letting them be as big as they need to be. But the columns, we actually do want to provide these measurements. So we've said the left-hand column is going to be 200 pixels wide. And then the other two columns, we're going to give them, them fractional units. So that's basically saying whatever space is left over, we're going to divide it into pieces and then give a fraction of it to the rightmost column and two fractions of it to the, to the center column. In other words, there's going to be all of these pieces left over and one third of it is going to be the right hand column and two thirds of it is going to be the middle. And if you look back to the browser, you can actually see that's what's happening. We've set 200 pixels as the width of this column on the left-hand side, but we said these other two, they can take up a third and two-thirds of the available space. You can actually see Carl's getting smaller and the center section's getting smaller, but they're not both getting smaller to the same amount. This one's twice as wide as this one because we've said two fractions and one fraction. So once you're familiar with the grid syntax, with this grid template syntax, you can just glance at one of these diagrams and see, oh, here's how the whole thing is laid out. And since there are three columns, but I want the header to span all three of them, I've mentioned the header at the top of each one, and you can see how that shows up in the browser. The header goes all the way across all three columns. If I go down to the footer, same story. The footer goes all the way across all three columns, and that's reflected right here. 
Now, the beautiful thing is if I didn't want one of these cells to be used, I can just put a dot in it, and that says don't put anything there. It'll take a moment to recompile, but you can probably already imagine what the, what the result is going to be. We're going to end up with our header still spread all the way across the top, everything else where it was before, but the footer only in the right two columns. So once I, question, I load in, I have a quick question. Yeah. Is there any significance with the dot? Is the dot something that CSS Grid recognizes to say, hey, that's a blank spot, or is it just a string that nothing else is using? The dot is what they tell you to use. Okay. Uh, I believe you can actually use multiple dots, but they have to be side by side, uh, like directly up against one another. Um, I've never done it that way, but my understanding is that you've got to have like a set of dots or a single dot to represent an individual cell. And that's exactly what we're doing right here. This is one cell of the grid that deliberately doesn't have any content specified in this grid template. Okay. If you were something that says that we couldn't come along with another rule somewhere else and deliberately put something in that spot if we wanted to, but in this particular grid template, we've said there's not going to be anything here. And now you see that reflected over in the browser right down here. Nothing yeah. in that spot. So Alyssa, I totally get your, your concern about this, but I'll promise you, once you get used to the syntax, for things where your your component or your document is amenable to this sort of like ASCII art layout, it's fantastic because you can look at it and go, oh, I see where everything lands on the page. And it's a whole lot easier than trying to pull apart grid template row, grid template column, uh, and you know spans and things like that, which are great. They're wonderful when you need them. But if you can simply lay it out as a diagram, I, I usually prefer to use this. Uh, and that's typically why I start with this example, because a lot of times people see this and they're like, oh, I had no idea you could do things like this. They've kind of been struggling with the with the row and columns and span stuff. The one other piece that I'll mention while we're still in this example, and I promise we're going to move off of it because this is about as far as we got last time, and I don't want to get stuck here again, is to show you that Grid is fantastic for use with media queries. If you noticed, as I got smaller here on my page, eventually my layout changed entirely. So I'll scroll up to the top so it's a little easier to see. Once I got below, I believe I set it to 600 pixels. You see how Carl went from over here on the right-hand column. He jumped up to the very top. And now if I scroll, you'll see the layout is totally different than it used to be. And that's because at max width 600 pixels, I just changed my grid template. So this is actually a different ordering of the content that was specified up here. And notice it's all gone to a single column. So Carl's at the top, the header's immediately below him, the footer's still at the bottom, the pale blue dot picture is just immediately above the footer. So the layout's totally different than it used to be only when I get below 600 pixels. So it's a really easy way to, uh, to set up multiple responsive layouts if you want. Um, Grid is fantastic for that. And you're able to change that order right there of the vertical order there, regardless of the DOM structure? Yes, I am. Now you have to be careful with that because while we can change the display order, like I could put Carl right literally down at the bottom. Um, and that's fine in this particular case because we're not really, there aren't any controls that people are interacting with. This doesn't change things like the tab order. So if you had a form, for example, that you were laying out with grid, you wouldn't want to use this to rearrange the form on the screen because the source order is still what actually controls the way that people move through that form. You'd have to work a little harder. Um, but, but for things where the visual layout um, doesn't affect accessibility, then you're fine. I usually try to be pretty conservative about, about this, though, because, it, again, it can be the sort of thing that if you take it too far, you can really wreck the accessibility of your page. Anyway, just to show you, 
here we are with Carl at the very bottom now. And the only thing that I changed was putting Carl at the bottom in my grid template. So back over here in Chrome, he used to be up at the top. Now our header's at the top again. And Carl's way down at the bottom. The thing I really do like about that is that we face challenges when we build that markup and we start thinking about, oh, well, is this order, how much does this order matter? And then I think we find ourselves a lot adding extra markup or extra structure to try and pull off something that like in this scenario here, again, taking into considerations that you mentioned, you know, accessibility and stuff, if we meet all those criteria, we can solve that with CSS without taking on that extra DOM and stuff to pull off that effect. So that's really cool. Exactly. And a lot of people think that, well, you know, this makes sense because this is really just a document. I mean, it's 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 a document that would, you know, we would have been at home building a document like this in the early 2000s. But now we live in the age of web applications. So people think a lot of this stuff doesn't apply. And your markup is going to end up with all sorts of additional like layout primitives and things inside of it. And I, I am strongly of the belief that that is not true. This works fantastically well for documents like we're looking at here but it also works really, really well for components. It works for Angular applications. And the rest of these examples are kind of along those lines. Uh, so as we get a little further down, we start talking about things like the image gallery and these media objects over here. You'll see that all of these same ideas work extremely well for applications too. All right, so let's take those ideas and kind of move forward with them. Um, the next thing that I want to talk about is some of those more primitive grid properties uh, that we that we kind of skipped over with our Carl Sagan example. So here in playing with blocks, the fourth fourth item here, this is a really simple layout on the screen where we've got you know five blocks across and then some number of them down. And if you notice, after the first fifteen, the shape actually changes. And the reason the shape is changing is because I've got an explicit grid layout up here for the top, and I've got what's known as the implicit grid layout below that where more items have uh, shown up on the page than I've actually defined uh, a grid around. So let me show you what that looks like. So here in the blocks example, so example blocks, first I'll start with the, uh, with the markup. The markup again is really simple. It's just a div that we're repeating some number of times. So I've got a data structure called labels and each one of these labels is just the number one, two, three, et cetera. And I've got a div for each one of them. So here in my TypeScript, all I've done is generate that list of labels and I've got 40 of them out there. So you can see I end up with 40 or 39 divs because I go from one to, uh, to less than 40. And now that I've got that array, I can iterate over it, making a div with each one of those labels inside of it. So here's the CSS that actually lays it out. Now, since this is the style sheet associated specifically with this component, I'm styling the host element itself literally the example blocks element, I'm styling it as a grid. So if you're not familiar with the host selector, this is a way of saying, hey, grab a hold of my host element and actually affect its CSS. Now I'm giving it a little bit of padding just to give it some breathing room, but the really important bits are these grid template columns, grid template rows, et cetera, down here. So I'm defining the explicit grid up here at the top with grid template columns and grid template rows. And I'm saying that I'm gonna have five columns that are each 100 pixels wide and three rows that are 100 pixels high. But if I multiply three times 15 or three times five, I only end up with 15. I've got way more elements than that. So I also want to be able to tell Grid when there are more elements, here's how I want you to deal with them. So specifically in this case, I've said when you have to automatically create new rows, make them 200 pixels high. 
The last bit down here, grid gap, is just to provide some breathing room among the different cells in the grid. So that's what's causing the, the white space to show up. If I took away the grid gap, it all be butted up against one another, which if that's what you want, is fine. It's great. You don't have to have the space in among the grid cells. But in this case, I wanted it to be very, very obvious where every element is inside this grid. And to combine that with what you talked about last time you were on, uh, that using grid gap and frank fractional units instead of percentages, the fractional units will take the grid gap into consideration. Absolutely. And that is so much easier than dealing with, you know, percentages and calc. And don't get me wrong. I, I love the, the calc function inside of CSS. But if I don't have to reach for it, my CSS life is so much simpler. So in this case, I've said that I've got, you know, these many columns and these many rows, and I want a gap of 20 pixels among the different rows or among the different items inside the grid. And it just works it out. Uh, it also takes into account things like this padding that's around the entire element itself. So you really don't have to worry about what your padding or margins or percentages or whatever are doing within your grid. You can simply specify a gap and it does the right thing. And that gap can be specified separately for rows and for columns. In fact, this is so useful that I'm calling it grid gap here in order to make it you know, obvious that we're talking about the gap among grid items. But in the most recent CSS spec, it's now just gap because it'll also work for flex. I know, I heard about that. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, super, super handy. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out as long as we're sitting here is if you notice, I've also styled the divs on the page as grids. So every one of these 39 items is also a little tiny grid. And the whole reason that I've done that is just because I wanted to be able to do that. I wanted to say, put my little label right in the center of each one of those divs. I don't want to think very hard about it. Everything else in here is just cosmetics. The place content center and the display grid is what makes the number show up right in the middle of each one of these elements. And I want to just call that out one more time too, because we did it earlier with the image right flow in the center. Like mm -hmm. again, if you've been doing development for a while and think about markup, your thought process might be, I need more DOM elements to center that content inside of my items, right? Yeah. And here we do it with two lines of CSS, right? Right. And it's perfectly reasonable for people to be just kind of, you know, to everybody, uh, people have uh, PTSD around this stuff. So there are websites like How to Center in CSS that basically interview you to ask, how do you center a thing? And this is because we lived for two decades in this ridiculous world where it was incredibly hard to do things like this. Um, and I point stuff like this out because sometimes people are like, well, I, I tried CSS. It hurt me. I don't want to go back again. And I'm doing presentations like this one to tell developers CSS got really good while you weren't watching. Over the last few years, things like Flex, things like CSS Grid have really solved a lot of the problems that we all had with CSS that caused us to have to deal with stuff like, you know, well, how many different elements do I need to add in order to add to, to make something centerable? Uh, or like I, I even opened this one up already. There's an uh, ancient website called Give Up and Use Tables. It doesn't exist anymore. But back in the day, in the early days of CSS, we had this website that literally had a timer on it. Like this thing right here, this little square used to be a timer where you could say, here's how much time I'm going to give myself to try to make this stuff work with CSS. And then I'm just going to give up and use a table instead. Oh, that makes me so sad. <laughs> we don't have to do that anymore. Um, the thing that mostly caused people grief with CSS was layout. And layout is an incredibly well-solved problem in CSS now. Grid being a big part of that, but flex uh, as well. So 
if if you've stayed away from CSS or if you've adopted libraries like uh, you know Bootstrap or, or one of the grid systems that come along with those uh, with uh, other libraries, um, take another look at just doing it with CSS because you might be more than pleasantly surprised by how good it got. Yeah, I, I pulled, um, as long as we're talking about Bootstrap, uh, I have an example here of the sort of thing that you would typically do, like in a Bootstrap-based layout, just to make a responsive grid. All of what you're seeing on the screen here, this is all markup that has nothing to do with your content. All of that would be necessary in order to just make a, a flexible grid layout of some kind uh, if you're using Bootstrap. And I say this with no you know, enmity toward Bootstrap. I loved Bootstrap back in the day. It really solved a lot of problems for me, but we don't live in that world anymore. If you're in the age of evergreen browsers with your projects, you know, if you're if you're at IE11 or better, you can very likely use Grid and you can definitely use Flex and don't have to do things like this anymore. All right, so with that sermon out of the way, I just wanted to show you that we've got these Slightly, they, they seem somewhat more primitive ways of specifying grids, but they're actually very, very flexible, uh, and there are lots of them. So we're explicitly defining rows and columns, and I wanted to point out, too, that we can freely nest grids without any pain whatsoever. And that'll really be important for some of these later examples where we have grids within grids within grids, uh, because that's an extremely common pattern in order to solve you know, more, more complicated problems. Long as we're here, I also wanted to mention this little repeat function is super handy. In fact, it's so handy that it's probably going to get added to other parts of CSS. Right now, it really only works with CSS Grid, uh, but things like Gap, things like Repeat, things like MinMax, which we'll see later on, have proven to be so useful inside of Grid, they're gradually spreading out to other parts of CSS as the CSS you know, working committees um, figure out how to properly apply them to other pieces. They're going to show up in other, in other places. So uh, get used to them with Grid and get ready for them other, in other parts of CSS as well. All right, so from there, um, this is usually the point where people are like, okay, I'm convinced this grid thing might actually be useful, and they go off and they start trying to use it, and they kind of get themselves lost. Uh, listen, this is what kind of what you were referring to earlier. It's like, I'm, I'm scared by some of what I'm seeing, or it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I've, I've built a layout, and I don't really know what it's doing for me anymore, and that's why I like to throw in uh, this debugging step. So here when the good grid's gone bad, it's similar to what we just saw, but you can see it's a little more complicated layout. In fact, we've got some elements that span from the top to the bottom of the grid, some of them that span a couple of rows, a couple of you know, two or three columns, and even some of them that overlap. And sometimes it's a little difficult to see or to understand why things are showing up where they're showing up in the grid, or even to see the elements that are being laid out inside of the grid. So let's take a look at the debugging example here. Here's what our markup looks like. Again, the markup itself is really simple. All we're doing is dropping a whole bunch of divs on the page, just like we did before. There are fewer of them this time because we don't want to make the example overly complicated, but it's still just a list of labels. In this case, we're going up to 10. And each one of those labels is just a number that we see inside of this div. All the magic's really happening here inside of the style sheet. So in the style sheet, just as before, we're styling the host element as a grid. In this case, we're also giving it a couple of other things like a minimum height of 100 VH that simply says, make it at least as big as the height of the viewport. We're setting up this explicit grid like we did before. We were saying there's gonna be five uh, columns of 100 pixels wide and five rows of 100 pixels wide with a 20 pixel gap. Now that we've got all that in place, 
Everything else looks the same until we start getting down to the individual items. So each one of these little blocks here, this is where we're grabbing an individual div and applying some styling to it. So I've set a background color on number three. So that's this guy right here. He's light blue. A background color on number four. This one's pink. So you can see where each individual item has shown up on the page. But then I'm also explicitly placing it in a certain spot inside the grid. So I'm saying that with the grid definition that I've got up here, the five by five grid, I'm explicitly placing item number three in row three, starting in column one and spanning for three columns. Number four, I'm not actually specifying where it goes, but I'm saying that it's gonna take up two rows wherever it happens to land. You can see that here, it's actually taking up two rows. I didn't say it has to start in column four. It happens to be in column four, but it landed there because the grid's automatic placement al uh, algorithm put it there. But wherever it landed, I wanted it to take up two, two, uh, two rows, excuse me. Same thing with five, except five is actually saying, you know, I don't know where, how wide the grid is or how tall it is, but I want it to end up in the bottom right-hand corner. So the negative indices actually let me place things relative to the ends of the rows and the columns. And this can often be fantastic for like a grid whose size you might not know um, when you're first building it, or you know that it's going to change over time, but you want something to be at the far right or at the bottom. Wait, so where is zero if negative one is the bottom right? Is zero the middle of the weight? Nope. Um, your grid is measured with columns starting in one, two, three, four, five, et cetera. Hmm. So this throws programmers for a loop because we're all used to things starting at zero. Grid columns specifically grid lines really start at one and you count from the end by negative one, negative two, negative three, et cetera. So there isn't a zero. So because it starts at one, negative one loops back to the end is how well, you're getting in the bottom right. Count from the end. So if you think about these columns as being you know, one, two, three, four, et cetera, then this is negative one, negative two, negative three, negative four. So negative can you five. do that? You can do like negative two and it'll be, yeah, you totally could. So if I went down here to, uh, to this guy and said, I want him to be in column negative three, and then I wait a month for it to recompile, <laughs> um, it will change where five is sitting. Should be end up, end up right about there. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. Okay, thank you. I was like, in my head, when you first said that, I was like, negative one is just some magical term that means the bottom right. But now this makes a lot more sense. <laughs> No, it's actually letting you specify coordinates. There it goes. Uh, coordinates based on the other side, the bottom or the or the right. Uh, and I should actually be more careful about that because grid being a modern CSS construct is actually very sensitive to things like the uh, the writing mode and the direction of the of the way things flow on the page. Um, so what we're doing is aligning things across like the block axis. Um, and that means you could specify things instead of like left and right. We're really talking about start and end. And start and end can change depending on which direction your writing system is using. So, you know, for English or French or Spanish or whatever, the writing is always going to go from left to right. But in languages where it flows the other direction, the, uh, the other side of the grid might actually be over here. So CSS grid works with all of that as well. Um, it sounds complicated, but what it means is in practice, if you're careful about the way that you construct and specify your grid, then you don't have to worry too much about 
modifying your website or your components of your website in order to handle things like languages that flow from uh, left to right or right to left. Hey, Bill. Yeah. Um, as Instead of waiting for things to refresh in the browser, you could open the dev tools and change things there. Uh, just a quick... Uh, yeah, and for some of these, that works fine. Um, for things like the grid template areas, I typically can't do that because what Chrome actually does is turns those into all these individual properties. So it becomes kind of a mess. Um, I see. But yeah, totally. If I went in here... Can I see the mess? Yeah. <laughs> here and inspect this guy. Uh, we'll actually inspect five because that's the one we just changed. And in here, you can do what we were just doing, make this... You started with negative one, make it negative five. Now he ends up on the far left-hand side of the screen. So yeah, all that works. Now six, is that going to loop again? We're, we're never going to get outside of this grid. Uh, well, no. If you say negative six, then you've Ooh. basically broken the grid definition. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is CSS, and it's, it's really the browser trying to do the right thing with the wrong information that you fed to it. Um, but yeah, like any other kind of CSS, it'll do the best it can with what you tell it, even if what you tell it is kind of garbage. So keep that in mind. <laughs> I want to point out really quick one thing on here uh, that gets me really excited about this and, and the whole negative one thing, right? And, and I see like if I have a whole page layout and I have this thing vertical all fill in the space and I want to anchor something to the bottom of the page that say maybe like a help thing that you can click on that little button and it pops up a little little display right. right there. Like I can use this grid, this stuff that you're showing us right here to pull that off, which if I think about doing that with just non-grid, it's like crazy, right? And that seems like a super straightforward and, and low effort for me to pull that that UX experience off here with grid. Yeah, little tricks like that. Um, once you kind of get, once you become aware of all the little, little uh, utilities you've now got in your utility belt, possibilities it's it's not that you couldn't do this stuff before it's that it was so difficult that you're like well i'm, I'm just not gonna bother or i have bigger fish to fry now layout is i you know it's not trivial but it's all possible it's all doable it's it's much more approachable than it used to be and that's uh when when grid kind of showed up across the board in early 2017 in all the major browsers it was a watershed moment uh, i i easily consider grid to be one of the best things that's happened to web development in the last decade easily I want to CSS grid all the things. Is that a problem? Should I not be thinking in that mentality or am I okay to think that way? Um, here's the only thing that I would, I would caution you against. Um, a lot of people really want to kind of pit grid against flex and say, well, now that grid's here, we shouldn't care about Flexbox anymore. The truth is that they're so useful together and there are still things where Flexbox makes more sense to uh, to use it. So if you've already got you know mad Flexbox skills, they're not obsolete. A lot of the things that we're doing with Grid, yes, you can you could totally now use Grid where you would have used Flexbox, but don't throw out your Flexbox skills just because Grid is here. They're quite complementary of one another. And the one and I, I was this guy. This is this is personal experience. When Grid showed up, I'm like, great. I don't have to care about Flexbox anymore. It always confused me. I'm annoyed by it. I'm just going to use Grid from now on. And as I've gotten better with Grid, I have gradually found some things where I'm like, wait a minute. The squishiness, the flexibility that is Flexbox is actually really helpful. Um, grid can be made to be super flexible, but Flexbox starts there. And Flexbox is also really, really good for what we call one-dimensional layouts, where we're not too worried about the, the uh, Roseanne columns aspect of it. We're really just kind of 
considering one direction, either, you know, things are flowing vertically, things are flowing horizontally, and Flex is really good at dealing with things like that, arguably better than Grid is. Um, so don't try to coerce one into the other. Definitely don't try to take Flex and turn it into a two-dimensional grid system. If you find yourself explicitly setting, you know, widths and heights on lots of things while you're using Flex, you probably should be using Grid. And likewise, if you're taking Grid and trying to undo some of its rigidity, the rigidity is kind of what you bought Grid for. So I love don't that. one for the other. That's excellent. Are there any tips as far as watch out for using these two things together? Like whether it's like uh, something specific in Flexbox with Grid or have you not had any issues with using them together? I don't ever want to say, you know, there aren't any issues because undoubtedly people have run into things. But in my own personal experience, they work really well together. And, and one of the nice things is that the folks who put Grid into the spec and implemented it inside of browsers, they saw the way that Flex happened. They saw some of the issues that happened when Flex was rolled out and made sure not to make the same mistakes. Um, for example, Flex is actually slightly different in the major browsers. You still have to worry about browser compatibility issues with, uh, with Flex. And for the most part, and when I say for the most part, I really mean in practice 100% of the time, you don't have to worry about that with Grid because they're like, yep, we're not going to make those same mistakes again. Um, so in practice, I find that Flex and Grid work really well together, and Grid works better because of the lessons learned from Flex. All right, let me show you one other thing while we're sitting here on the uh, on the debugging uh, step before we move on. Um, how many elements are on the screen? Well, if we look back over in the TypeScript, I actually said one to 10, so there should be nine divs, but there's only eight of them on the screen. And unfortunately, even if we use like some of the built-in, you know, hover over this component and you can see where all the grid cells would be, we're missing an element. And that's where- Where is it, Bill? Exactly, there's a little trick that I like to use. It's like, please show me where all of my grid elements are on the page. So. What I've done here is I've said everything inside of this particular element, I want you to throw a three pixel solid red outline on it that's got like a five pixel offset. In other words, give me a red box around everything that's inside of this element. Now, why am I doing this? The reason I'm doing this is because the host element is the thing I actually put the display grid on. What this means in English is light up everything inside the grid with a red outline. And if I've talked long enough, there you go. Here's all these red outlines. There's that additional element that some evil designer, I can't imagine who it would be, came in and said, um, I'm going to make him completely invisible. This is the ninth element on that page. And I deliberately made it so that you couldn't see it so that we'd be able to make it visible using our little outline trick. This is a very old school kind of technique. I really want to be able to see where everything is on the page. So I'm going to put an outline on it. But sometimes the old tricks are really handy. This is like the console log of, of CSS debugging. Um, and <laughs> I've never seen border unset either. I didn't know that one. Yeah, so like if there is a border, make it go away. If there is a color, now just make it transparent. Same thing for the background. Um, but the important bit is I want to be able to see an outline around things. And the reason I'm specifically using outline here is because that does not affect layout. I can throw an outline on something, and it doesn't shift around where it is on the page. Border does. So an outline is a really handy way of saying, show me where something is without moving it. And of course, as long as we're talking about debugging, 
I mentioned that you can do things like hover over the element that has the grid applied and you can see where the grid cells are. Um, but if you really want to do inspection of grids, that's when it's time to reach for Firefox. Firefox has a fantastic grid inspector in it. So here's what we're working with in Firefox. If I look in here, turn on the uh, DevTools, turn on the DevTools, and I go into the inspector, we can actually go to a particular element here. We'll choose our, our invisible element uh, and inspect it. And you can see it actually shows you which things have grid layout. So if I go up to the host element itself, I can turn on an inspector for the entire grid. And if you see, I've now got this overlay that's showing me effectively what my red outline was doing for me, but I didn't have to add anything to my markup, didn't have to add anything to my CSS, and I can get really fancy. I can say, you know, show me all those line numbers we were just talking about. I can turn on line numbers, and now I actually know where every line is, including the negative versions of them, just like we were talking about. I can say if there were area names, I could turn on those names. So my Carl Sagan example earlier, I would actually have each one of those names uh, visible in this grid. And if I've got this, like let's say that it's an element on the page and it's really small, and I want to kind of see what, how it affects the rest of the layout, I can do things like extend the grid lines infinitely. So all of this stuff is here and available to me to make it really, really easy to see how the grid is happening on the page. And Firefox is, is ahead of the game in terms of uh, grid layout inspection and layout inspection in general. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of living in this world now where the bulk of my development is done in Chrome, but when I want to really take a close look at layout, uh, I've also got Firefox uh, you know, one, one command tab away. So definitely keep that in mind. All right. Now that we have some ideas on how to keep track of, of what's happening in our grid and to, uh, to untangle when things are going you know, sideways on us, um, let's get a little more fancy. Let's make something a little more realistic. So yeah, back a question on that. Yeah. Conceptually, like you had that, I'm assuming this will probably be okay, but you had that one that you were hiding, right? You're displaying none on. Can right. I have two elements that I say occupy that same column row location? So that absolutely. then CSS show or hide one or the other, that they always show up in the same spot? Yep, absolutely. In fact, I'll go ahead and skip over to that example um, here when our, in our When Worlds Collide example. So we have a bunch of planets on the screen. And notice all of them currently are in like their own spots. Uh, some of them are bigger than others, like Saturn is, is wider because it's got the rings, and Jupiter is bigger because it's just so big. Uh, but all the other guys are pretty much taking up a single cell. If I wanted to, I could actually have things occupy the same spot. So I'll do what Rocky suggested and go in here and we'll take Earth. And Earth is currently in grid row four, grid column four. Uh, but let's put Earth like on top of Saturn. Now, notice the other thing I've done. I've also given Earth a Z index of one because if I didn't do that, then it would be dependent entirely upon source order. Earth happens to come before Saturn in the source order, so Saturn would have ended up on top. So if I turn off the Z-index 1, Earth is still there, but it's hidden behind Saturn. If I turn on the Z-index, I've popped it now above Saturn because Saturn has a Z-index of 0 by default. So items can absolutely occupy the same, uh, same cell, and you can use Z-index to control which one comes out on top. Uh, and of course, you can also completely just hide and show things uh, if you don't want. If you don't want to worry about the stacking order, uh, you can just decide what you want to be visible. But yeah, this is one of the 
I think unsung features of Grid, um, we've had lots of fun trying to use things like relative and absolute positioning just to stack things up on a page. With Grid, now it's pretty much put things in the same spot and I will control which one of them pops to the top uh, and then you're done. It's it's kind of amazingly easy compared to the way it used to be. Yeah, it all just really helps you think more in the line, put your mind in the CSS rather than sitting your, your mind into the DOM structure, right? Exactly. If you've noticed, I haven't actually changed the DOM in a single example so far. I've literally not touched the HTML. I've shown you the HTML, but I haven't changed any of it. So here in our um, overlap example, this is the planets. Here's what the HTML looks like. It's a bunch of images. I'm going through a list of image items that I'm pulling back from an observable. I'm showing, uh, you know, uh, putting a title on it and grabbing the source, but it's really just eight images. Everything else is being done over here in the CSS. All this should look pretty familiar at this point. We've got a, you know, a grid defined that's five by five. We've got a grid gap. The images, that's the only really new thing happening here. I'm saying each image is going to take up 100% of whatever container I've defined it within. Um, I'm giving it an outline so it's really easy to see when something ends up on top of something else. But pretty much all the stuff you've already seen, the only real difference is I'm explicitly positioning some things on top of other things. So this is the default position I had set up for Earth, and all we did was move it to a different row. Uh, while we're here, I did want to point out one thing. I mentioned earlier that you don't always have to explicitly say where something lands in order to also give it a size. That's exactly what we're doing with Jupiter. If you notice, with Jupiter, we've said Jupiter is going to be on row three, and it's going to take up two, um, two rows. But for the columns, I didn't actually say where it lands. I just said it takes up two columns. So that's why Jupiter is as big as it is. It's two by two. But I didn't explicitly tell it where to land row-wise or column-wise, I just told it what row to put it on. So it's on one, two, row three, and wherever it happens to land in the flow. So if I come in here and start changing the size of the page, oh, I've got this grid explicitly not uh, not changing. I'll show you on a different example for that. Um, let me move to that one and I'll show you what I mean. So in here, similar layout, and if you notice, as I move things around, the planets are shifting around in order to take advantage of the new layout. A little easier to flow here. So I've set sizes, I've set positions for some things, but the grid layout algorithm is doing all the rest of the work for me. So in that particular example, with spanning, what I've done here is got the same sort of grid setup or a similar sort of grid setup, but I've been a little looser with the grid definition. I've said that I'm going to have ever how many columns I need in order to allow for, you know, 100 pixel columns as taking up as much room as I've got available to me. And whenever a new row is created, make it 100 pixels high. So this looks like a similar grid definition, but in reality, it's actually quite a bit more flexible. It's just take up the room you've got available with 100 pixel columns and create as many rows as you need that are 100 pixels high. And I can even control things like this grid auto flow. Grid auto flow says that you want to be able to pack the grid a certain way. If you notice, planets are smaller, you know, in some cases than others. And as I move things around, I don't really want to leave gaps. So grid is automatically changing 
the order of the things that are that are displayed on the page in order to fill in those holes. If I inspect this and change that flow so that it's not dense, then as I move things around, I'll eventually start seeing gaps. So if you notice, we got a much bigger gap than we had before. It's because Grid is saying, well, I'm going to leave spaces, even if I had something that could fit in there like these smaller planets, because you told me not to densely pack the grid. Now, typically in a component where you want to really tightly control the layout, you might not want something like that. But if you were doing something with images like we've got here, where images can be lots of different sizes, and it doesn't really matter what order they're coming in, being able to say densely pack the grid based on uh, your own algorithm instead of me explicitly saying where everything goes is really fantastically useful. So for there's just so much as yep. far as like the capabilities of grid. And it's kind of overwhelming, especially when you're like, I want to use grid, but like, oh my gosh, the features are galore. So is there like one resource that tops it all for you, Bill, whenever you're using grid yourself that you refer back to or just yeah, like I can tell you how I got started. Um, <laughs> so if we go back here and you go to the furthermore link, the top link, this is the person, Rachel Andrews. She is the goddess of all things grid. <laughs> if you go to her grid by example website and go through the videos that she links from there, there's a handful of videos that will just get you up and running amazingly quickly. The, the presentations that I do are typically to make people care. I'm not trying to go through every individual property and every individual capability. I'm mostly trying to expose people to what you can do and the sort of sort of stunts that you can pull with grid. Rachel is fantastic at saying, here it is from the very, very beginning. So this video tutorial link here, this is where I started with learning grid layout. Awesome. Um, but I did want to point out the other people that are on this list here. Rachel Andrews is the first name on the list. Jen Simmons is not far behind. Jen's stuff is extremely inspirational. If you go and watch all of her layout land videos, um, she's much more on the, you know, you've, you've now got grid capabilities available to you what does that enable you to do? What, what new vistas does that open up of things that you can, you can tackle that might have just been overwhelming before? So learn yourself some grid from Rachel and then open your eyes with, uh, with the stuff that, that Jen provides. Uh, the rest of these links here tend to be things like um, courses. You know, West Boss has got a, a free video course on CSS Grid that's quite good. Uh, resources like Indian's articles on, on grid layout. Um, Things like can I use, because people are often concerned, well, grid sounds really cool, but am I actually able to use it in the browsers I have to support? Uh, you'd be surprised how good the, the support is across the board. And even in older browsers like IE11, you've got tools available like Auto Prefixer. So this list of resources, uh, I, I put it here because it is partially the path that I followed and uh, really helpful for solving real world, real world problems and getting inspired to solve problems you might not have even been able to approach before. So... Uh, there's a question in the chat specifically related to SAS. Right. Uh, are you able to use SAS variables to replace part and or all of a grid template definition uh, via SAS variable? Yeah, you totally can. Um, I'm actually using uh, SAS for some of these examples, although I'm not typically using SAS variables. Uh, but that's not because I can't. I just I'm not to, in order to keep the example simple. Um, you can use SAS variables. You can also, for browsers that support it, you can use CSS custom properties or CSS variables as well. 
Um, and you can use the two in combination. They work fine. Uh, to, to give you an example of that, uh, let's see. I think I have it running off to one side. One second. Over on port 4300. This is something I'm working on for Angular Bootcamp. Angular Bootcamp has a similar list of resources uh, like I was just showing for, for Grid here in my end furthermore. But I wanted to snazz it up a bit, so I'm making it into a set of index cards. So, hey, you guys are winning. Uh, Angular Aaron NGBS show uh, up at the up at the top. This is a grid layout that is done with, you know, for all these index cards. If I zoom out, you can actually see quite a few more of them. Uh, the whole page is laid out with grid, and then the individual cards are laid out with grid as well. And a lot of this layout and styling is actually controlled with CSS custom properties. It can also be controlled with SAS variables just the same way. So all this works just like you would expect it to. Um, there's no limitation uh, just because you happen to be using variables. That's a beautiful layout. I love it. I love it. I, so I, I think you might be a bit biased because of this, but hey. No, I mean, even if you start it's still amazing. I love it. Uh, so the actual, like, the template where we put that in double quotes inside of the CSS, right? Right. Can you have SAS inside of the double quotes? Will SAS parse that correctly? I think that was I I don't believe so because that's just considered a string. By, um, you know, so I'm, I'm assuming what you're talking about is back here in our in our sandbox where we had like the uh, this guy here. Yeah, correct. So like if inside of that word header, if that header was a, a SAS variable, but you still have the quotes around it. I don't know because I've never tried it, but I'd be very surprised if that actually worked. Um, I do know that it you have to be on a fairly recent version of SAS for this to work at all because the parsing of these uh, of these strings where you're essentially concatenating multiple things together in order to make uh, one giant template string uh, was something that earlier versions of SAS couldn't handle. So they had to do a little bit of catching up. Uh, now it's fine, but like Stacklets for a while uh, wouldn't handle CSS grid template areas like this uh, because of these strings. Uh, but what I haven't tried to do is like put an actual SAS variable for one of these strings or inside that string. Uh, it might work, but I haven't tried it. I can tell you in practice, I don't generally need to do that because these layouts tend to be, uh, I won't say static because usually you're, you're specifying several different layouts for different media queries, but they, they don't tend to be the thing that I would build with variables in the first place. The stuff that I'd be more likely to build with variables would be some of what we were just looking at with, um, with like things like this. Like right. that. But I, I could see like in that other example where you have the text string Carl, right? And you're mm -hmm. using that text string in multiple places. Like how do you ensure that it doesn't change from C-U-R-L to C-A-R-L, right? And you get all the places that it changed. So if you could variable that, see what I'm saying on that? No, it totally makes sense. Uh, I'm just saying I haven't tried it specifically with SAS inside of a, a grid template. Uh, I can tell you one of the next things I'll try is that just to see what what happens with it. Um, and I'm also I'm not going to claim to be a SAS expert. I'm not going to claim to be a CSS expert by any stretch. Um, so there may be things that like SAS can do with variable interpolation that I'm just not familiar with. Awesome, thank you. All right, how are we doing on time? Because I want to get through at least one or two more of these if we can. Yeah, we're at the we're near the top of the hour, really close. But let's get those in if you got the time. All right, uh, I want to give a couple of uh, what we talked about so far have been like here's this cool little thing that you can do. Here's a neat little thing that you can you can try. But I want to give a couple of more realistic examples. Um, so in here, one of the things that people 
often want to do is use a thing that uh, usually is called like a media object. Uh, if you've never seen it before, it's essentially a card. So things like this, where we have information, a picture, uh, all in some sort of card format. I've given a little bit of styling here in order to make it obviously a card, but the, the important bit is that you've got some information and something on the left-hand side, typically that's like a, a picture. You see these all over Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Social media is big on stuff like this. Um, and the problem is that those cards are often extremely static. Like they don't, they don't flow well. They don't, they don't adjust well to uh, like different layouts because it's kind of hard to do this well. So I wanted to build a media object that was all grid-based. So this entire layout, of course, is grid-based, but the individual cards themselves, if I change the size of this, you can actually see they adjust themselves. And it's not just the card, but it's also like the stuff that's happening inside the card. Uh, the overflow is being handled. And as we get below a certain size, the card itself gets bigger. And then finally, when we get down low enough, it won't get too small. We'll actually force the page to start scrolling. Uh, and if we get large enough to have multiple cards on the screen, then they you know, eventually will spread out to three columns, four columns, et cetera. If I zoom out, so this is kind of like what we just saw with the index cards, but these are much more flexible. Um, in order to make this happen, it's basically using all the same things that we've seen before, just kind of combined with one another. So first of all, let me show you the HTML, literally just a single component that we're repeating multiple times for each one of the items that we have on the page. So we're you know, giving all the data into the media object. The media object itself is where most of the work happens, the heavy lifting to make the thing uh, you know, act correct on the page. But before we get down to that, I want to show you the top level grid layout. So here is the layout of the entire page. We've said that we're going to have as many columns as we need varying from a minimum of 300 pixels wide up to one of those fractional units wide. This is what's providing that top level flexibility. So a card can never get below 300 pixels, but we can put as many of those on the page horizontally as we have room for. This, by the way, is an extremely common pattern. You'll see stuff like this all the time. Uh, we don't have time to go into it here, but like if you look in the image gallery, you'll see a version of that as well. Um, things like repeat, automatically fill, min-max, 150 to 1FR. All over the place you see that. So make sure you, you keep that in mind when you're trying to build some of these flexible layouts. That's your, your kind of go-to magic spell to do it. The object itself, that's a separate component. You saw me using that right here, this media object component. Just a component I made up, nothing special about it. If you look at the definition for that one, the HTML here is literally just an image, a header, and a div. There's no layout anything happening inside of this. All the layout stuff, as before, is happening in the CSS. So the entire card itself is given a display of grid. Here's one of those grid templates like we saw before. It's a little more complicated than the one we saw earlier, but if you look at it closely, you can see the image is taking up both rows on the left-hand side. The header is taking up the right-hand side of the top, and the description is taking up the right-hand side on the bottom. The header takes up as much room as it needs to uh, row-wise. The description can't ever get lower than 100 pixels high, and will take up to one fractional unit of the space that's available. For the columns, the image is always going to be at least 100 pixels wide, or it's always going to be 100 pixels wide, excuse me. And the right-hand side of the card can vary from nothing to 1FR. This is another one of those very, very common patterns where you're simply saying, 
I want it to be possible for this thing to go all the way down to zero. And the reason that we do that is to make sure that we can handle things like these overflows. If we didn't do that min-max zero right there, then this stuff could actually cause this card to get overly wide. We're saying the card can get as narrow as it needs to get, and we're controlling the overall layout outside of the card. In other words, these cards are really, really flexible. They'll adapt to whatever layout you happen to throw them into, and they do the right thing. Below that, it's mostly just details. We have things like making sure we're properly handling overflow, making sure that we're saying that the image lands in the right spot in the grid and that we give it explicit you know, heights and widths if we want to, uh, making sure that the images do the right thing no matter what aspect ratio they happen to be. So none of this is like specifically about grid, but it's the sort of details you sometimes have to worry about uh, in order to make stuff like this work. And all of it works really, really well with grid. It just simply does the right thing. So slightly more realistic example that you'll use in practice all the time. All right. Do we have time for one more quick one? Sure. I think Mike Mike might need to go. Mike, do you need to go or? No, I can stick around for this one. I love this one. All right. Let's do this. Okay. Um, without going into the code, I did want to show people the sort of thing, another one of those realistic examples that, uh, that I like so much. So here in the so much room for activities, this is that full page layout example. Uh, we've all seen this where we've got a header at the top. We've got a footer at the bottom that's actually fixed in place. If I resize the browser, you'll notice that the footer is staying with me. If I resize the entire page, you can see everything is staying where it actually belongs. We've got this sidebar nav that can be opened and closed, and the page itself scrolls. But if you notice, it's not doing bad things to the header or to the footer. Um, like I said, I'm not going to go into the code because I don't really have a lot of time for it. But Take a look at this example if you want to see how to use Grid to do this sort of full page layout where you have some things that are fixed in place, some things that are actually flexible, uh, and they all work really, really well together. The last example I did want to show, though, is this video viewer. This is the one that people tend to like a lot because it takes those same ideas that we were just looking at with the full page layout and shows you that you're not constrained by that. You're, as, you're only as constrained as you actually want to be. So this is a video viewer where you've got a list of videos here on the left-hand side it actually does scroll, but it's got some perspective on it. It goes off the top and the bottom of the page. When you click on one of these, it actually gives you a video viewer off to the right side using the, uh, the, the YouTube embeds. You can actually see it. Um, notice the film strip edges along the side. They're not scrolling along with the rest of it. So you might think, wow, there's a whole lot of markup that must be going on in order to make this stuff happen. Nope. Here's what the markup looks like. It's literally a video list component that says, here's where your data is coming from. And when somebody selects a video, here's what I want you to do with it. And here's the video player. And even inside of these individual components, if we look at them, the video list itself has a style sheet and it's totally empty. The video player, there's a style sheet. It's got a little bit of stuff inside of it, but it's only here to support the YouTube player. Nothing to do with the overall layout of the page. All this is really just about making that player do the right thing. The entire layout of the page comes from the example video viewer component style sheet. So in here, we have the grid template, just like we've seen before. This quoted string, that's the template itself where we said the list is going to be on the left. There's going to be one column in the middle that doesn't have anything in it, and then the player is on the right. That is going to be as high as it needs to be. So in other words, the height of this one single row is going to be controlled by whatever the content is. 
but the width of the individual columns, they can vary based on these expressions. So it's never going to be lower than 200 pixels, and it's going to be up to one and a half of those fractional units. The little spacer in the middle, that's half of one of those fractional units. And on the right-hand side, the player is never going to be lower than 250 and can go up to two and a half of those fractional units. Now, I could totally change these guys so that they didn't have decimal places, but I wanted to show people that you're not constrained to just integers here. Whatever makes sense for the math that you need to do, you can absolutely do in these FR units. All it's really doing is adding each one of these things together and saying, okay, that's how much total space we've got, and they want to take this big a piece of it, and this big a piece of it, and this big a piece of it. So what all that does in practice is let you have a very flexible layout here on the page. So you see what's going on? As I change this around, it's actually changing the size of those columns. But since I've got that little spacer dead column in the middle, I don't have to worry about these things colliding with one another. Now that I've got all that in place, I want to show you that I'm not constrained by it. So I want this list, this thing on the left-hand side, I want it to flow off the top and the bottom of the page. So in order to do that, even though I set the height of the overall element itself to be 100 viewport height units, down in the list itself, I've said that the video list is 130 of those. In other words, it actually extends off the top and the bottom of the page. I've also said that I want to transform it so that it's rotated just slightly. That's what's giving me this little tilt. And I want it to look 3D. So I made the whole element a 3D element. So I've got a perspective on the element so that things that I, could put on, I put inside of it can actually be rotated along three-dimensional axes. I'll use Mike's trick again. Go in here and inspect this thing. And I can actually change that perspective value and show you that this will change its 3D-ness based on the, uh, the perspective. So if I come in here to the video viewer itself, grab the perspective and start, say, decreasing that value, you can see that it's actually getting more three-dimensional looking because I'm saying, you know, the depth of the, of the element itself is changing. Or I can flatten it back out again. So the further away it gets, the flatter it gets. Or I can go to the list itself and I can say, you know, I don't want to transform it. I just want it to be nice and straight. So in here, once I get rid of the WebKit transform, that's my actual list in its flattened out form. So we're still using grid layout to do all of the work here of laying out the page and laying out the component. But then once we're inside of that grid layout, we can do whatever we need to do in order to adjust our, our layout so that we're not constrained by it. So it gives us kind of the, the bone structure, and then we can hang our elements on them wherever we need them to go. But it gives us that overall structure. Another example of that, just to show you really quickly, is this one, where we've got a whole bunch of pictures. And if you notice, they kind of overlap one another. And if I move around among them, you can see this animation is happening. These are all items that are being laid out with the grid, but they're not constrained by the grid any more than we actually want them to be. All right, so I could talk for another month on all this stuff. I really, really love grid. It's super exciting, uh, but I know that we're out of time. So anything you want to talk about, any questions you have before we uh, before we close the lid on it? I want to throw one thing in there as you're talking about that, you're not constrained, right? I yeah. think that sometimes I start thinking about grid and I think, oh, it's like a table. And so if we, we think about that analogy, well, the table is rigid, like you were saying, and the grid allows us to not be constrained by that. So we are kind of thinking in rows and columns potentially, but we can overlay and adjust things fairly trivially to, to pull that off. So that, that's what makes Absolutely. it so powerful, right? 
that's one of these later examples I want to show people that you have as much constraint, as much structure as is useful for the thing you're trying to accomplish, but you are not prohibited from like moving outside of that. Uh, you still you, you have as much structure and as much as much rigidity as you actually want, uh, but you're not limited by it. Very cool. Very cool. I know I want to just go back to the agile board and start pulling all the story tickets that have to do with display and UI and grab those for myself to start working on because I love this stuff. I you know, always want to, every time I talk CSS or look at CSS, it's like, that's my joy for the web. So I, I always get excited about working on more of that. So this is awesome. Yeah. For me, the big takeaway is grid finally allows us to get back to that original promise of you know, the separation of concerns between HTML and CSS and JavaScript is like, there are things that we're supposed to do each one of the things that those, you know, major features of the web platform can do. Uh, and unfortunately, because CSS was somewhat limited for a lot of the lifetime of, of the web so far, people have gotten used to intermingling those concerns in, a, in kind of a bad way. I really think those days are over. HTML can go back to being the thing that says, you know, what you have, the semantic uh, part of your application, and all of your layout, all of your 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 styling, your your aesthetics of your application, if, uh, for lack of a better term, can go where it belongs, which is over in the CSS. And then the behavior can happen uh, with that combination of HTML and JavaScript, just like we were told it was supposed to work back in the mid nineties. For sure, for sure. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's do some quick picks. If anybody has any picks, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. So, right. I, I've, I've got one and then I got to run. Okay. Um, my pick is Justin and I uh, will be streaming tonight on NGBS, which was one of the cards examples there. We're going to be talking about Scully plugins with Aaron Frost. Uh, so, looking forward to continuing our conversation from last week. So, that's my pick. I'm super excited about that. Nice. Me too. And Scully being the static site generator helper yes. library yes, that Hero does put out for working with Angular. Awesome. Melissa, do you have any picks today? I am pickless. <laughs> I'm pickless as well. So uh, I think that's probably it. Um, Good job, Mike. You actually did what people were supposed to do. I didn't do it either. <laughs> <laughs> Mike was the responsible one today. No, no. We're proud of you. I, 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 occasionally I am <laughs> one, but usually not. Awesome. All right, well, Bill. Thanks again for coming on a second time and sharing us uh, this the CSS knowledge. Super appreciate it. Uh, maybe you need an Angular and CSS podcast going here because it sounds like there's just a ton of content that we all just want to keep consuming. So uh, <laughs> you're welcome to come back on and anytime we can schedule another episode whenever Thank you want. Thank you so uh, much, Bill. Thanks. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I feel like, uh, you know, Johnny Appleseed trying to like spread the message of like CSS is good now to, to all the developers. Uh, I did forget to mention, uh, if you hit my GitHub page, which is W-N-O-D-O-M, you can find that Spacewalk repo and all the stuff that we were just looking at, including things we didn't have time for, uh, are all available there. So if you search for Bill Odom GitHub, you'll find it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch yeah. you in the next episode. See ya.